Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Unshackled Liberty. What's up? This is Q, the abolitionist. And I'm Crypto Gumbo. And we just had one heck of a episode. With Jeremy R. Hammond. We talked a little bit about, uh, well, a lot about vaccines. And Actually, of course, how the government is crooked and full of scams. And it was like a, it was a real grown-up episode. You yeah, know? yeah. We, we kind of put our big boy pants on on that one, huh? Yeah, I thought it was good. I had a great, it was a, I had a great time having that conversation. Except for me. I, I, I made some boo-boos. You'll hear it. Um, it always oh. happens with me. I'm always that guy. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. I thought we had a good one. Uh, so if you have any questions about vaccines or you want to hear a little bit about uh, you know, how the government kind of throws the data to control the narrative, well, this episode is going to be full of that. Yeah, it's a good one, too. I liked it. A good time. So I'm, ting- I'm tingling. I've been tingling a lot lately, but I'm tingling now. We guys, we're not talking. This is a family show. We're not talking I mean, about tingling. I mean tingling in a good way, bro. Okay. Not like that kind of way. We'll see if it gives you guys a tingle. So without further ado, here's Jeremy R. Hammer. Enjoy the show. Hey man, I know you are, but what am I? So hey man, thanks for saying that. So hey man, how how you doing today? Oh man, I'm doing most excellent. Uh, wife went, went to go do some shopping. I watched the kids; they were really good. They ate some noodles, man. They always they call it Mac Nunu every night. Guarantee every night they want noodles, and I'm so sick of Italian food and noodles, dude. But guarantee those kids are gonna want Nunu Mac Nunu or Nunu. Mac. I'll, be like, I'll be like, hey, do you want? What do you want to eat tonight? What do you want for dinner? Nunu. I'm like, oh man, I'm so noodled out spaghettied out fettuccine out you know it's not great for you either the noodles well you know go go tell a three-year-old that and yeah you're not gonna get you're not gonna get a three-year-old to eat like kale right that's not gonna happen (laughs) so um but uh you know you gotta force me to eat it like you know i know i'll eat it because i know it's healthy but but i'm not gonna like it you know yeah i just get myself past that point not everything can be red meat but uh we got we got jer we got jeremy r hammond on today dude Right on, man. From uh, JeremyHammond.com. He's a uh, an independent journalist. He's an investigative journalist, and we're going to be talking about all kind of stuff, man. Mostly, probably just coronavirus, honestly, because because they keep talking about um this vaccine, and uh, that's kind of like his wheelhouse, so to speak. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, he's been in the weeds with that, right? He he, he knows the scoop. Yeah, uh, more than we would because he's like a journalist. He's really out there doing it, and we're he's just for kinda, real. Yeah. yeah, we're weekend warriors trying to keep our lives stable while having fun with Unshackled Liberty. Yep, yep. So, um, hang on. Yeah. So I, I got my cousin might be joining us. Also, I sent her the uh, the Zoom link. If she can get if she can get in, she will. But uh, it's not. It's you know, because you know she's a she's like a hardcore anti vaxxer So I figured that she might get a kick out of this whole conversation. Yeah, um, you know, firsthand, and you know, it's family. It's kind of you know, you do dumb stuff for family, right? But you know, she's she's got life too, so she might not be able to make it, but she's she's definitely gonna try if she can. Yeah, that'd be so, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's up, dude? Did you hear you me? Right? Did, did you hear me? I had to, I had to yell at the kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you 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 muted it, so I didn't okay, hear it. Okay, good, good. Because I don't want <laughs> I don't want you know the uh, podcast world to, to to hear me uh, 
yelling at my kid for being Abuse loud. your kid verbally? Yeah. yeah, verbally assault my child. Hey, you little piece of crap. Hush. I don't I do not do that. Everybody can forget. I'm just I'm just sounding like a bad parent. I'm actually a pretty good one. My yeah. kids walk yeah. all over I me. I can attest to that. You know? Q, QA non, the abolitionist is a very good parent. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, I'm, okay, I'm going to toot your horn. And this is the last time I'm going to do it on this episode. The dude did such a good job with his kids, man. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. It's incredible. Like, I don't think I will ever be able to achieve what he you're, has with his kids. So, you're being dumb. well, so no, I'm not being serious. Well, so like you're forgetting the fact that that uh, Mrs. Abolitionist is is 110 percent. You know, she's like, if if I had it my way, we'd be eating macanunu uh, every every <laughs> night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, just take that compliment, fold it up. All right. Tuck it, it away. Back. I'll put it in my pocket. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. So I sent, I sent the anchor.fm guys that, that email. And, uh, yeah. and I also gave him a copy of our latest episode, um, our latest unshackled Liberty on cool. wheels episode. And uh, so I don't know if um, yeah, I told him to just listen to it and they'll hear it. They'll hear us fall out of sync. And, you know, Unshackled Liberty on Wheels is supposed to be a little bit, like, like we've been saying the whole time, it's supposed to be a little bit grimy. Yeah, yeah. You know, but bit. not like, not like full on, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be a, just a pile of garbage, right? So, hey, yeah. he's here. Jeremy Hammond's here. I'm going to go All ahead right. and admit him. So, um, but, uh, so we'll see how that goes. And again, I don't know if it's a hardware issue or software issue, but, but hopefully we get it sorted out. So, um, looks like he's connecting. Hey there. Hey, what's, hey, what's up, up, man? How, How you doing? doing? Good. You look good. You sound good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Thanks. Yeah, dude. So where are you right now? All right. What, what part of the country are you in? Uh, Petoskey, Michigan. So kind Michigan. of the near the tip of the lower peninsula. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're on Well, the... not quite near the tip, but up there a ways. Just, just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had up, to. Up, up here, as we say here. You know, we have, there's Michigan. Where are yeah. you? I'm here. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, thanks. Thanks for joining us. We're just kind of small talking uh, right now. And, and um, but uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we before we get going? Sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> well, like, so you're you're Jeremy R. Hammond, the, the great and powerful, right? You know, so, so <laughs> yes. like, man behind like, the curtain. <laughs> so uh, we got, you know, got your I've, I, uh, I kind of peruse through your website a little bit and, and see yeah. some of your stuff. I've heard you, I've heard you talk on, uh, uh, with, with Pete Quinones on free, on free man beyond the wall. It's uh, one of my personal favorite podcasts and, and every episode Great. that you're on, I really enjoy listening to your stuff. And so, yeah. um, I, am really happy to have you on, on this show and, and I know gumbo is too, yeah. but, uh, but I'm Q and that's gumbo. So now that we've done the introduction. Hey, you and gumbo. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> nice to meet you as well. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess just to give you some background, I kind of got started doing this um, after 9-11. And uh, so right after 9-11, actually, I bought my plane tickets to, I was finished college and I was going to go to Taiwan and I bought my plane tickets to go to Taiwan uh, like two weeks before 9-11. Mm -hmm. And then so I was in uh, Taiwan right afterwards um, and just asking myself, you know, well, why would people do this and not accepting the answer we were given of, oh, well, they hate our freedoms. And, and so that's kind of what got me. I just started researching and you know, I kind yeah. of discovered the internet for the first time and just started researching and um, and found out that I was pretty good at analysis and uh, and so by the time you know 
to, by the end of 2002, I was, you know, like writing friends and family saying, oh, the government is lying. They're using 9-11 as a false pretext. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no weapons of mass destruction in, in Iraq. And they were dismantled back in the early 90s. And, and of course, people didn't believe me. Nobody but, believes you. Yeah. Yeah. I was a conspiracy theorist. But of course, I was right, as we all yeah. know now. But um, and so that's and that led to me launching my first website and starting to get published, you know, sending my articles out for to get published in other publications and things. Uh, 2008, down the road, I launched Foreign Policy Journal. Um, and so I was really mainly focused on foreign policy and especially the Israel-Palestine conflict. That's what my book here is about. Okay. Obstacle to Peace is my big Obstacle magnum peace. opus uh, on that topic. Um, but then at the same time, in around 2012, I wrote another book on economics. It kind of, uh, I've also researched the Federal Reserve and the role of the Fed a lot. Um, and then the same year my son was born. So I got uh, into researching vaccines and been right kind of slowly that's become my main focus. And so then now that's pretty much all I do because I don't have time for anything else because it's just so, so important to get good information about that out to the, to the public. Well, so what, so let's, let's spend a little bit of time on that then. What, what is your, um, now you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself I don't want, I want to be, I want to be careful. I says, you're not an anti-vaxxer. Would you consider yourself an anti-vaxxer or would you consider yourself a, a, just uh, something else other than that? No, I'm not, I'm not anti-vaccine. I have actually have no problem at all with vaccines. It's a product right. that right. people, you know, find value in. And so if people find value in it, they're, they're welcome to, <laughs> to yeah. purchase vaccines and get vaccinated. <laughs> I have no problem with that at all. Right. Uh, my problem is with the policies and public policy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just I'm, a, I'm put, a critic of public vaccine policy. We, you know, and they, they equate that as being anti-vaxxer, but of course that's nonsense. Yeah, I wanted to put that out there because I know that people. Um, I mean, if if anybody's, I doubt they're listening to you on this show for the first time, because um, you you've been on on several other episodes of or several other shows and, and have done wonderful things. But if they are for the first time listening to you here, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that um, you wouldn't color yourself an anti-vaxxer, and that and that. Uh, if anything, they would call, they the magical they would call you an anti-vaxxer just because you don't ascribe to their to their policies, right? To their schedule necessarily, right? Right, because I'm not an adherent to the vaccine religion, right? Yeah. And it is, dude, isn't it a religion? Yeah. It's, you know, it's it a is. lot of that out there. It is cultish. I mean, a religion might even be too kind. It's more of a cult. Yeah. Okay, so um, you know, one of the things that I mean, I, I don't, I don't probably have have all the same information in my brain that you do. But one of the things that I've always uh, uh, thought of with, with regard to vaccines is, is I just go, well, you know, maybe I need to get vaccinated against the stuff that'll kill me. Right. And then this, you know, I'm, I've got a pretty healthy immune system, you know, the stuff that I can fight off on my own, I'm just going to go ahead and let myself fight off on my own. Right. So right. I don't know when the last time was I got a flu shot. Well, the last time I got a flu shot, I was probably wearing a U.S. Navy uniform, right. Cause they kind of make you do that stuff. You forfeit your own, sovereignty when you're in the military and so you don't get to do you know you don't get a lot of say in what they shove into your body right so right yeah but uh that, that's that's kind of been my my policy going forward and and i don't know i think gumbo might have something similar to that but uh what how do you how do you where do you draw the line with with vaccines on that on that topic um i mean that's that's the thing it, it's it's a matter of individual risk benefit analysis right i mean there's this kind of and that's my problem with public policy. It treats vaccination as a one-size-fits-all solution to disease prevention. And I mean, there's all kinds of angles that you can approach that problem from to point out why that's a problem. 
but you just fundamentally, the most basic level, it, you know, we all have a right to informed consent and it should be up to the individual to decide because every individual is at a different risk for the disease, first of all, and also at a different risk for injury from the vaccine or harms from the vaccine, whether it's short term or long term. Um, and so you, the idea that bureaucrats in Washington or state capitals can make those decisions on behalf of everybody is right. ludicrous. And it's, it's, that's anti-science. <laughs> That is anti-science, and um, it, it, there has to be an individual risk-benefit analysis. And it just you know, nobody knows the individual better than the individual, or if, if it's a child, the parents. Um, and so that's what it comes down to. So, um, and yeah, I mean that that's the way it is. If you know, if you were in a circumstance where you, you know the risk of the disease was obviously far higher than the risk from the vaccine, then you might want to get vaccinated. Uh, on the other hand, uh, in, in the U.S you know, the way I see it, the, the risk of vaccines is higher than the risk from the diseases. Yeah. I know that. So particularly with the, with the flu vaccine, everybody talks about how important it is to get that. And, and uh, in fact, my mom, it's, it's maybe a little personal, but um, I went back to visit family last winter and my mom told me to get the flu vaccine before I, I went back to visit. And uh, you know, I, I didn't, <laughs> I, 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 I told her I wasn't going to, and then, and then I didn't. And then, uh, yeah. um, and my mom is a, is a retired registered nurse, right? So she's, you know, she's sitting here trying to tell me all the ins and outs of everything. And, and, uh, you know, I love my mom to death, of course. And I think most, most people love their moms and, and I'm not, you know, I'm no different, but, uh, I think she's, I think she's probably at least in that line, probably wrong about, about that stuff. But, uh, well, I mean, you know. the, the, that's one of the fundamental assumptions underlying the flu shot uh, recommendation from the CDC is that, that, uh, I mean, the biggest justification for it is because the flu, you know, um, is the mortality is among the elderly, mostly. Mm. I mean, children do die and young adults can die, but typically, I mean, just the higher risk group is the elderly. Uh, and so that's their justification. And they argue that, of course, that uh, the, the flu, flu vaccine greatly reduces mortality among the elderly. But um, the study that the CDC has relied on to make that claim, in fact, the CD has claimed, the CDC has claimed that, you know, just unbelievable uh, amount of, of, uh, mortality reduction from the flu shot greater than can be explained <laughs> by, you know, prevention of deaths from the flu. So uh, researchers have, you know, re-examined that question. Back in 2005, researchers from the National Institutes of Health, another branch of the government, the NIH, um, looked at those studies that the CDC was was relying on. Uh, and they determined that um, th those, they're observational studies, of course, so they're not, ran you know, like prospective randomized placebo-controlled trials that the CDC is relying on, they're like retrospective you know, um, epidemiological studies and just looking at population data. Uh, and so the NIH researchers um, just re-examined that and, and discovered that uh, there was a selection bias in those studies. And then subsequently this, you know, other researchers also looked at this question and it completely discredited, discredited these studies. And they showed that uh, what it was is a healthy user bias. So mm -hmm. essentially to boil it down was that um, it wasn't that elderly people who got the flu shots were less likely to die that coming flu season, but rather that elderly people who were so sick and frail that they were likely to die very soon were less likely to get flu shots. And okay. so that's an example yeah. of, of a healthy user bias. It's a type of selection bias in these studies. And so, and, and they, they determined that later uh, researchers determined that that, that bias completely um, explained like the entire benefit that the CDC was claiming was entirely attributable to this selection bias. In so other words, there's bias. no benefit. So there's no, there's benefit. no evidence yeah. 
there's no evidence of so that that's, the CD's claims are true. Adjusting, have, adjusting have, the findings. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. adjusting the findings for, uh, you know, f for that bias, there, there, there is no, there's no noticeable benefit. benefit. Right. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's what's, what's scary about that, though, is you'll have prominent people with platforms that'll take that information and run with it as if it's the, you know, it, it's true, but it's very controlled, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing is that you're not going to read this in the mainstream media. <laughs> you know, you're not going to read it in the New York Times. Uh, in fact, you know, I've written a four part series on the influence of vaccine um, and it which got kicked off because I read a, a New York Times article that had cited uh, a, a meta-analysis. So a meta-analysis is a type of study. So, cause you know, you can always find individual studies to support one, one argument or the other. Um, and so the benefit of, a, of what's called a meta-analysis is they do a systematic review of the literature and they find all the relevant studies on a particular topic. Uh, and then they basically conglomerate the data and take a really broad overview look of what the science is telling us. Um, and so this New York Times article was citing a 2010 meta-analysis by a the prestigious Cochrane Collaboration, which is an international scientific organization that specializes in meta-analyses. Uh, and so citing this 2010 uh, Cochrane meta-analysis to support the claim that that science shows that the flu shot confers a great public health benefit. So I just, I, I read this, I read the study, <laughs> you know, I clicked the link, I found the study and I read it and it's the complete opposite. In fact, that that study criticized public policy because they, 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 they said that the the fundamental assumptions underlying the CDC's flu shot recommendations are unsupported by scientific evidence. Wow. This is what the review actually concluded. And they went further. They went so far in their criticism as to accuse the CDC of deliberately misrepresenting the science to support their policy. And this is the study that the New York Times is citing to say, well, the science says that the flu shot confers a great public health benefit. This is the, this is the nature of the media, you so know? And confusing. so this is the, the narrative that everyone yeah. gets. This is the propaganda that everyone is getting. Um, and a lot of times you can debunk the mainstream propaganda about vaccines by going to their own sources, yeah, <laughs> including crazy. the CDC. You can go to the CDC's website and yeah. look at certain of their pages and click the links and read the studies and their, their claims that they make that they're citing those studies for are not uh, not only not supported by those studies, but contradicted. Yeah, so that's studies. that's probably the most powerful thing you can do is that I've found is is uh, go to these government agencies' own sources and use their own sources against them. Um, yes. You know, it, it you know it just shows you that it. I mean. I mean, this is a libertarian show, so no secret, we're not big fans of government, right? So, mm -hmm. but uh, it just shows you how, you know, at every level, in every agency, um, in every branch, it's, it's just, you just can't trust them. There's just nothing, you, there's, there's nothing, but there's no shortage of evidence to show that they cannot be trusted. They cannot be trusted at all. And, uh, you know, specifically, and here we are letting them decide uh, what we're going to shove in our own bodies. And if you don't have sovereignty over yourself then you have then then there's just there's no sovereignty at all you have none whatsoever so yeah well i'm glad you brought up the, the point about trust because that's yeah. really one of the big fundamental problems is that people have this view you know they have this perception of government is like taking care of care mm -hmm. of us yeah. and you know they, they see the cdc and the fda and they just trust these organizations to take care of us and uh and to take care of our health for us um, but I, I think if people understood the corruption and the conflicts of interests and, and how these agencies serve the, the industry and not the yeah. public, 
um, you know, they would have a different view of things. And so, yeah, there's this kind of almost, you know, in the way the media treat <clears throat> the CDC, for example, yeah, as though it was infallible. Well, so like the, you know, that like would be, go to, you have to go to the CDC for information about if, vaccines because nobody you, else can be trusted. Yeah, you're right. If you could trust our government, it would be the very first government in the history of history that you could trust. <laughs> so, you know, there, right. again, so like anybody who believes that you can trust what's being told to you, either directly by these government agencies or by their mouthpiece in the mainstream media, uh, they, they just need to open a history book, like any history book from any point in history in any region of the world and just look yeah. at what government does. And, and, and it's, you know, I don't know. Sorry, we don't want yeah, to derail. They, the whole they topic, are completely, but, yeah. they're completely unworthy of our trust. And Absolutely. just to give an example of that is, um, you know, the first thing that pops to my head when I think about this specifically as it relates to vaccines is um, throughout the late 80s and the 90s, the CDC kept adding more and more vaccines to this childhood schedule, right? The routine mm -hmm. uh, vaccine schedule. Um, and back then, many childhood vaccines contained thimerosal, which is a, a mercury-based preservative. It's about a half alpha mercury by weight. And nobody in the government ever bothered to do the math to figure out, you know, whether it was safe to inject that much mercury into children. And so when the FDA finally kind of accidentally got around to it, as it kind of a, the circumstances were that the Congress had, had uh, mandated the FDA to um, just to kind of determine mercury exposure in the population just on drugs in general. And so they kind of queried the pharmaceutical companies for information about mercury in their products. And of course, that included vaccines. And so they, they got that data on, on the mercury in the vaccines. Uh, and then they finally did the math around 1998. And, and they determined that, that the CDC schedule was exposing children to cumulative levels of mercury that were greater than the EPA's own safety guidelines. And that's why that's why they made the decision in 1999 to phase it out and, and to phase uh, the thimerosal out of of, uh, of most vaccines. Although it's still included in the multi-dose vials of influenza vaccines. So as they took it out of other childhood vaccines, and then they put it in, you know, they're, they're, and then they you know recommending now the uh, the flu shots for um, for anyone age six months and up, so infants, and, and including pregnant women. Um, and so, you know, that's a really good example of how, just how unworthy of our trust that yeah. they are. Well, so like, so was there a guy just like in, in a lab somewhere with like an eyedropper full of like mercury, just kind of going mm, one drop, two drops, ah, three drops will do it. Or what, <laughs> it's you, like, you know? hey, it's in, it's in the fish. It'll be okay. <laughs> well, that's another thing is, you know, that if you go to the CDC's website and then they have a page about, you know, the concerns of mercury and, and, and vaccines and, and Again, most childhood vaccines have been phased out now, but they're still in, in flu shots. Um, and they make the claim that the because the, the form of mercury in, in vaccines in, in thimerosal is is called ethyl mercury. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they claim the CDC claims that you know the, the ethyl mercury in vaccines, unlike the methyl mercury, which is the form like from fish, uh, isn't is is not toxic and is rapidly eliminated from the body. And this is a good example of how you can go down and click the links to the studies that the CDC cites to support that. Uh, and for example, it cites a 2005 study that actually found that, that uh, the, the mercury from, from vaccines uh, is, is transported through the blood-brain barrier and accumulates in the brain. And the authors of that study expressed great alarm about this and even you know, mentioned um, the fact that you know, children with autism have um, this inflammation of the brain uh, 
and how mercury in the brain causes this the same type of inflammation that is associated with autism. So this is the, <laughs> this so is the CDC's own study, right? Um, and so that's a good example of what I was talking about earlier. So do you remember? Or, or another one is that just, just sorry, just another give another example. The second study that they cited on that same page was an Institute of Medicine review, you know, that acknowledged that ethyl mercury is quote a known neurotoxin that quote accumulates in the brain. So here's so the weird thing. Do you, do you remember whenever we were kids? How like how, how not that we were hanging out when we were kids, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, how many cases of autism do you remember? I was born in 1980. I never seen it. I never. I didn't know what it was. I never yeah. heard of it. And now it's everywhere. It, it, yeah. It's it's scary. And then there's it still is. there's still that little thing in me. And you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm you, you're the guy with the knowledge here as far as all these vaccines are concerned. But there's still that little thing in the back of my head that says, I don't think it's good that you're putting things into my body. And it, to to and why why would you put mercury in, in a human subject? Why, I mean, what is, why is it necessary that it's kind of weird to me? It just doesn't make sense in my little brain, you know, <laughs> but right. just, how is that good for health? Yeah. Yeah. It's never so, made so sense to me. Ever. Have they ever said, I mean, so, I mean, what, why would they do that? What, what is, is there, a, is there a, a, like a stabilizing feature that this, that this, uh, it's, so it's a, it's a preservative. So okay. they put it in there. All right. and, uh, so the multi-dose vials um, are basically just so that you can have multiple doses from the same vial. Yeah. vaccine so it's cheaper it's cheaper to manufacture in bigger vials that contain more doses than in individual doses right so it's just a matter matter of it being cheaper okay. um and and so that's what the the mercury is but you know another another neurotoxin that's in in many vaccines is aluminum they use yeah. aluminum as an adjuvant so an that's adjuvant crazy man is uh is a different it's not a uh, it's not a preservative they use it as um it's an, an adjuvant is basically a substance that um stimulates a, a, a more uh, a stronger immune response so greater inflammatory response and downstream antibody production uh, and so they do this because you know for fda licensure they they you know they typically use antibody titers so the amount of the level of antibodies in the blood uh, as a surrogate measure for immunity even though mm. you know anti antibody titer doesn't necessarily correlate with immunity so when I mean, you can have antibodies and not have immunity or you can have no antibodies and still have immunity. So it's not a perfect correlation, but they still use that as like a surrogate measure uh, for FDA licensure typically. Um, and so you know, they have to have, you know, they have to show that the vaccine can stimulate a certain level of antibodies in most subjects to be able to gain licensure. And so with non-live vaccines, you know, it's, it, they, they can't typically with just the antigen component, they don't get that antibody response that they want. So they put the adjuvant in there to stimulate that inflammatory, um, stronger immune response, um, so they can get licensure. That's is, what it is comes it, down to. Is it just me, or does it seem like these entities are working very hard, going way out of their way to ensure that they're putting things into basically our future generations? It seems like to me, it's not a. Is that is that too much of a step uh, to to assume that? I, I don't think it's a deliberate thing. I don't think they intentionally are out to to harm our kids or to harm us. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, it, it comes down to what I call the vaccine religion, um, where yeah. there's just this faith and there's this, there's this whole legend, this whole myth about vaccines. Like, for example, you know, I just I wrote an article just the other day. I was reading a New York Times article and they mentioned just like it's, it's one sentence thing or one paragraph about how, you know, before the pertussis vaccine, you know, pertussis was one of the leading causes of death among children. And then the pertussis vaccine came along. 
and, but you go back and so I went actually I just went back and just looked up the data <laughs> and I graphed it you know and I showed how the mortality from pertussis you know was was quite high in the 1900 you know like 1900 and then just over time throughout the 1900s um, was was already declining is so that by the time the vaccine was introduced and, and widely used the mortality had already plummeted 80 90 percent probably um, so obviously that can't be attributable, you know, to, to the vaccine. And, th and this they, is true for but just they across wanna, the board. Yeah, it's all marketing, right? Like they want to keep that, that, that fear story alive so that when it does finally hit the market, they can say this is going to yeah. save lives. And so they, they don't, it's, it's the whole, I mean, it's not the same thing, but you can draw a parallel with, with like the welfare system, right? Like we were already, as a nation, you already saw that that uh, the poverty was on a significant decline, and then you you increase welfare in the mid '60s, and and then you see that it kind of like hits a plateau, right? But they can say, oh, it's much it's much lower than it used to be, but it wasn't because of welfare; it was you know or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. So sorry. Yeah. Maybe right. Thing, so it's, so it's, basically, it's what they're saying is that you know they're trying to draw. They say that there's a correlation, and therefore yeah. that's causation. Yeah. But anytime Absolutely. there's a study showing a correlation between vaccines and some harm, they, they always remind us, oh, well, correlation doesn't equal causation. Right. So you know, they always try to have their cake and eat it too. And there's yeah. this cognitive dissonance and this, um, and this kind of uh, willful blindness. They you know, need to keep the fear alive. These institutionalized biases. Yeah. Um, and so there's just these myths uh, and, and propaganda narratives that, you know, it, it, what, what really strikes me is how the scientific community is so silent about things like this because you know, the, the, well, they're going to lose their money. Controversial. Yeah. They're, they're going to lose the their science. funds. Yeah, they're going to lose their funding. You know, it's all it's all well, government grants exactly, and all that yeah. other stuff, right? Exactly, because they're so, either funded by the industry or they're funded by the government, and so yeah. there's these which that's conflicts of interest, right you there. Just follow the incentive, dude. That's all you got to um, do. Yeah. You know? So I'm a lot like Q though, because because I was active duty Navy and I was pumped full of all kinds of stuff. I don't know why. I don't know what it was, and so I realized they were towards the the end of my last enlistment there, I was tr fighting hard to stay away from those flu vaccines because they made me sick. I, didn't, I don't want to feel sick, you know? And uh, I, I was getting close to the exit door. So I was like, man, just, and they were like, no, you have to take it here. Here it is. And that's yeah. kind of like why I was forced to do it. I, you know, I raised my hand, I signed the dotted line, you know, that's what I did that to myself, whatever. But yeah. I still, there's still that, that weird thing in my mind that, I can't fully accept it. And I don't, I don't know why it's just, it bothers me. So where do you sit on the, we mentioned autism earlier. Um, where, where do you sit on that whole discussion? I know that there was something, um, you know, some articles that say that the whole, like these vaccines creating autism has been debunked and, and then other mm -hmm. people have said, no, 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 that was debunked. Where, where do you sit on that? Is there, is there a, is there a firm ground on that whole argument or is it still just kind of shifting sand, so to speak? Um, I, I think there's pretty firm ground at this point. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the science as opposed to what the, the government says and what the what the media says, and again, just as an example, I'll go straight to the CDC. Yeah. One more time, let's go to the CDC. The CDC has a page where it says vaccines do not cause autism. That's the title of the page. Uh, and you can read that page. And of course, they claim that science has proven that vaccines do not cause autism. Um, but you, you go and look at the studies that they cite to support that. And they cite a number of observational studies, which we've already talked about. One of the problems with that is selection bias and, and, and an Institute of Medicine review that pointed out that observational studies cannot falsify the hypothesis. And furthermore, that none of the, the observational studies included in the review were actually designed to test the hypothesis that vaccines 
given according to the CDC's schedule, uh, can contribute to the development of autism in genetically susceptible subpopulations. And that's so what there you have in, it, straight from genetic, the CDC's yeah, own sources. In, in genetically susceptible subpopulations, right? So, okay. Right. And, and also, all of those studies only looked at two things. They either looked at the MMR vaccine, not the other vaccines, not the other schedules, or, um, or mercury as, as a, an ingredient in vaccines. So what is that, what is that attributed to? Is that attributed to the ethyl mercury or the, um, or the, uh, the uh, aluminum or, or what, or is it just like everything all jacked up all at once or what, what do we Well, that's at? the thing. There's, you know, there's no one, I think, thing that you could point as the, the single cause, uh, but, you know, children are exposed to so many toxins today you yeah. know, from the environment. It's in the air, it's in the water, it's in their food. Um, you know, it's in the furniture in our house. I mean, it's, it's in the vaccines and, you know, people's immune systems just get to a point where they can't, um, they can't detox and, and the toxicity builds up. Um, and, you know, the government has acknowledged, the U.S. government has acknowledged that vaccines can cause encephalopathy, brain damage, uh, manifesting as symptoms of autism. There was a, there was a case in the, what's called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, the VICP, uh, which was established under a 1986 law that granted legal immunity to the vaccine manufacturers uh, whose vaccines are recommended by the CDC for routine use in children. Uh, so the VICP essentially shifts the financial burden for vaccine injuries away from the pharmaceutical industry and onto the taxpaying consumers. And in one case that was uh, uh, um, under the VICP was uh, a girl named Hannah Poling, uh, who, whose family was awarded compensation under the program because she had an injury of encephalopathy that the government acknowledged was caused by vaccines. She was given uh, nine vaccine doses all at once at, uh, I think, 19 months of age uh, and then regressed uh, into, uh, into diagnosed autism. And the U.S. government acknowledged that it was the vaccines that caused um, she had a, a mitochondrial disorder. So they acknowledged that, you know, that in children with mitochondrial disorders, that vaccines can cause encephalopathy man manifesting as symptoms of autism. Mm. That's straight from the government's own admission. Their own sources. Yeah. 19, a 19-year-old, uh, yeah. 19-month-old baby, man. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so they, that's another example of, of uh, you know, and another, just a couple of years ago, 2018, uh, the CDC's director of immunization safety um, was interviewed by Cheryl Atkinson, one of the few good journalists. Um, and she, she confronted him about this question. And he acknowledged that, yes, it's possible. There's a possibility that vaccines could cause autism in genetically susceptible individuals. And he goes on to say what the problem is, we just don't know who those individuals might be. So well, you know, that's, if, that's the director of the CDC's, you know, immunization safety office right there acknowledging that they don't know. And yet the media persists in this, this claim that, oh, it, science has proven that vaccines don't cause autism. And of course, you know, again, they rely on these observational studies. And I'll give you another example. I, I mentioned earlier a selection bias, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you another example of that. A 2015 study um, wanted to actually look at the question of genetic susceptibility to autism. And so they looked at uh, um, siblings. Uh, and they, they concluded that the study, the findings of their study showed that, you know, there, there's no association between, uh, between the MR, MMR vaccine and autism, even in genetically susceptible 
individuals. But that, that conclusion did not follow from their findings. In fact, if you look at their study and their findings, what they actually found was another healthy user bias because what was happening, and by their own acknowledge, acknowledge this right in the paper, that the parents uh, who, whose first child developed autism, they were their you know, younger siblings, they were less likely to get vaccinated with the MMR vaccine. So it wasn't that children who got the, in fact, they found, it wasn't just that they found no association, they found a negative association. And it, but they didn't claim that, oh, well, that shows that the MMR vaccine makes you less likely, it reduces the risk of autism. They didn't claim that. Um, but that was, what that really showed was that there was this healthy user bias that the data was worthless for drawing any conclusions about the risk because it was, it was once again, it wasn't that the kids who got the, the, uh, the vaccine were less likely to get autism. It was that the kids who were specifically more likely to get autism were less likely to get the vaccine. It was another perfect example of this healthy user bias. And that was their actual finding. Wow. So to conclude from that, that there's no association is completely fallacious and dishonest. And yet that's, what, of course, how the media published, you know, the, the, all the headlines were another study proving that vaccines don't cause autism. Well, I mean, all I'm hearing is more, yeah, all I'm hearing is just more, more evidence to just continue to trust these people. I mean, clearly they're, they're looking out for our best interests. I mean, think about this, uh, lay this onto the regular blue collar working dad that's got five kids and it, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's sad. Yeah. It's, it's confusing. Well, so we're so we're nosy enough and we're curious enough to dig into this and we're we, we're we're a little bit dorky enough to have our own little podcast and then and then we have you know, <laughs> you know we have jeremy on to, to kind of show us the ropes with this stuff but but most let's be honest dude most people aren't this dorky you know what i mean like most people have life to, to to live and they have things to do and they're working 40 50 60 hours a week maybe they're working a couple jobs and they're trying to hold it all together they don't have to have time to do this research they don't even know yeah. And so, yeah. so daddy government says, Hey, it's okay. You can trust us, you know? And, and largely they were probably like, I don't know about, you know, Jeremy, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm public school educated. It took a lot of unlearning for me uh, to yeah. get to the point to where maybe everything that I was, uh, you know, indoctrinated in wasn't true. Um, so I had to unlearn that, but that was a conscious effort. A lot of people don't have time for that. You know, yeah, so they're yeah. publicly educated and, and they have this thing where the government's going to have their back. They always will. And, you know, it's red, white, and blue and they're star spangled awesome and all of that stuff. And, and next thing you know, they, like, like Gumbo said, they got five kids and one of them's autistic and they don't know why, you know, they don't yeah. understand why. I mean, and, and, and I if really, they do understand why they don't have the resources to fight it, you know, yeah. push back and, and, and to engage, engage the government in, in, a, in, a, in a courtroom battle. They don't have that. There's no background for that, or they don't have any any, any ability to do that. It's, well, it's, and then it's they're coerced. In, they're coerced, coerced into vaccinating in the first place, because, like you said, even in that situation you described, you know, the, the the single dad with five kids or something. I mean, they don't have time to homeschool. They they're working yeah. a job full time. Oh yeah, they're just to put food on the table, yeah. and they, so their kids are in public school. And of course, the, the states have the mandate. And more so and more, kids want to go to school. You, you yeah, gotta have the mandate. If you don't vaccinate more and more, you're not going to get that education, that public school education. Right. So, exactly. So they're, and they're, they're really not sending them. They're not sending them to Jesuit. Right. They're not sending them to the private Catholic college or private Catholic schools or, or you know these uh, you know these these higher end boarding schools. You know they don't have the money for that. So they're going to send them to whatever neighborhood school that they got, and they're not allowed to go there if they don't get them vaccinated. And what what what's their option? What are their options? So so I hit that wall, Jeremy. Like uh, I have three year old twins, and. I didn't care about vaccines when I was younger. 
And then I was in the military and then I got tired of the vaccines because I got so much stuff pumped into my body. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward a little bit, I have my own kids and then here they are. They just turned three. COVID-19 is taking the world over and it freaks me out because I felt I was fearful to not get them vaccinated a year ago or whenever. And I did it. And now I regret it. Or should I regret it? I don't know what to do. Should I not do it? I talked to my doctor. He's a very bright man. And uh, he told me, he's like, I asked him the question, what's up with this uh, autism and and vaccines? And he says, you don't have to worry about it. Here's some literature. Here's some documentation. You can go look at it. And it made me feel better. But it still scares me because my kids are so young and they still, you know, what about when they go to school? Are they, uh, what's what's going to happen with this COVID-19 mandatory vaccine and all the the murmurs and rumors of this, you know, that stuff scares me, man. Yeah. And, you know, apart from just the, the, you know, there's, there's harms of, let's face it. The, the, we have the, the dogmatic claim that vaccines are safe and effective, right? Which is totally and utterly meaningless. First of all, because every vaccine is different and every vaccine has a different profile of safety and effectiveness. And then, um, you know, the, the other consideration is, uh, again, you have to look at the, the individual risk benefit analysis and, you know, and, Part of the problem is that, you know, if you look at the pre-licensure trials, they only really look at like short-term adverse events, you know, so you, you get, you get the injection and then you have redness in the shoulder, or maybe you have a fever, you know, sometimes there's more severe adverse events. Um, but what they're not looking at is like the long-term harms, right? And there's no way to know, like, you know, like if the hepatitis B vaccine, for example, is an aluminum containing vaccine that they give on day one, <laughs> Of, children, of you know of infants on the first day of their lives, uh, and then there's two additional. Um, sub, and and sub- you don't know, and there's no way of knowing if they're if they're if if they're what's, going yeah. What's the consequences of that? Yeah. What are the consequences of the you know potential neuro neurotoxicity of the aluminum in that vaccine in, in infants? They don't know unless they actually study, unless they do with a randomized placebo-controlled trial with long-term follow-up comparing health outcomes, including mortality. Um, and so, and I say including mortality because, you know, there's something called nonspecific effects of vaccines. So this is a term in the literature that they use essentially meaning uh, unintended consequences. <laughs> wow. Uh, so they call it nonspecific effects. And um, it, it, the best example of, of uh, a nonspecific effect, and it can be beneficial or detrimental, but the best example of a detrimental nonspecific effect is with the uh, diphtheria, tetanus, and whole cell pertussis vaccine, which used to be used in the U.S., the DTP, um, has since been replaced in, in developed countries with a, 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 a vaccine that has an acellular pertussis component rather than the whole cell pertussis component. But the DTP vaccine is still the most widely used vaccine in the world, widely used in developed countries, pushed in WHO campaigns, pushed by the Bill Gates uh, Foundation. Uh, and the best science we have to date shows that that vaccine is associated with an increased risk of childhood mortality. And it's not because the kids, you know, get the shot and they die from the vaccine or that they, they get the vaccine and it doesn't work and they, they die from pertussis or, you know, these other things. So um, even though it does appear to be protective and it offers some immunity, there's, it confers a protective effect against the target diseases. Um, it appears to uh, detrimentally impact their immune systems in a way that makes them more vulnerable to other diseases. Um, and so there's also opportunity costs, right? So like um, uh, where having infection is actually beneficial. I mean, that's how you build immunity. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. The, and, the, the immune system's in, incomplete and it only gets stronger the, uh, as it gets attacked, right? 
you know. Right. And this is another thing that policymakers just don't even consider. I mean, they don't even think about these things. So, for example, measles infection in childhood has been associated with all kinds of health benefits um, and reduced risk of much more serious diseases later in life. Um, and include, that includes uh, Parkinson's disease, certain types of tumors, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, cardiovascular disease. Uh, so what, what are the consequences of not having that immune stimulating, immune building experience as children? I mean, there's long-term detrimental effects of that and they don't know. Um, you know so to be able to compare like the risks versus the benefits, there's no way to do that unless you actually have the data showing, you know, doing those, those randomized placebo-controlled uh, trials comparing long-term health outcomes, including mortality. There's no way to know. There's, it, it, so any claim to safety absent those type of studies is really m practically meaningless because they don't know. Uh, and so, and to make that point again about, about measles, um, I mentioned nonspecific effects and, and how they can be beneficial nonspecific effects. So one of the things that, you know, proponents of uh, vaccination campaigns will point to is that there's a beneficial nonspecific effect that's been found for the measles vaccine. And the same body of research that has found that the DTP vaccine has this uh, detrimental effect has found measles has a, uh, appears to have a beneficial effect where kids who, um, it's, it appears to reduce mortality in, in countries to a greater extent than can be explained by reduction in measles death alone. So it appears to kind of prime children's immune system so that they, they're actually not only protected from measles, but also other diseases. And so of course, you know, there's this, uh, this claim that, um, you know, the vaccine is so beneficial and everyone should get it because of this beneficial nonspecific effect. But what, what they don't tell you is that the same, those same studies actually show that the same holds true for children who uh, experience measles infection. Also, uh, like chickenpox. So, so, yeah, so also like, so reduces their risk of dying from other causes. So there's no no net benefit basically of the measles vaccine. Well, and that's I the mean, thing that they will look at. They don't actually do that comparison, right? They'll do the the vaccine versus no vaccine, but but that also you know that it's not a fair comparison. And they'll look at you know just the kids who had measles infection versus no measles infection in the long term mortality. Um, you know, kids who, who survived measles versus kids who, who, who didn't get measles and the kids who survived measles. And, and so the, the, the benefit of that, the survival benefit of experience of surviving measles is, is a ch in childhood in, in places where acute mortality is low, which certainly includes developed countries like the U.S., um, more than offsets deaths from measles. Was it like an artificial prime? Like they say, hey, take this and it's going to prime you up and you're going to be good. It's not the natural way, but it's going to give you that boost. Oh, booster shots. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's essentially, and so because, um, so I mentioned DTP vaccine, so that's a non-live vaccine. And that, that detrimental finding of, of increased childhood mortality has is, is been found generally for non-live vaccines in general, like so in, including the hepatitis B vaccine. Uh, we, and also non-live vaccines tend to have adjuvants like aluminum in them, whereas the, the measles vaccine is a live virus vaccine. So it's attenuated virus, so it's weakened, so it's not going to cause the disease unless you, you know, you're immunocompromised or something. Um, but uh, it, you know, it more closely mimics your natural immune response. And so that's why you, you can see that that also does confer a beneficial effect. But the thing is, it's still not as superior as, as natural immunity. 
Um, and another example of this is the, the superiority of natural immunity is, is there's like long-term population effects that, that, again, policymakers just don't even consider. So another opportunity. Bill model. Gates, population control, baby. <laughs> so another, another, uh, <laughs> another population level effect is um, mothers today that have been vaccinated, you know, they were vaccinated as children, and so they didn't experience measles naturally they're less able to confer passive maternal immunity to their children. So back before the, the vaccine, infants were protected. There was kind of a natural herd immunity where older, you know, the, the measles is riskier in, in infants and adults, right? Um, and so, but measles was kind of constrained to an age, you know, like school-age children. And school-age children are at less risk of complications, right? So it's safer for children to get it than for infants or adults to get it. And so measles was kind of naturally constrained to that age, one, because everyone experienced measles by the time they were, you know, reached adulthood, they'd already experienced it as children. And so they, they'd had long-term lifelong immunity that it protects them for the rest of their life. So they didn't get it when they were adults. And then infants were protected because uh, the mothers were able to pass on protective immunity uh, prenatally through the placenta and then postnatally through the breast milk. And so infants were protected from that, that maternal passive immunity, whereas now um, mothers aren't as well, well able to do that because the vaccine conferred immunity is inferior to that yeah, natural because immunity. they didn't build up their own natural antibodies through the process of living life. And so, so it's, a weaker, it's a weaker passive yeah. maternal immunity. So in the event of an exposure today, infants are at higher risk than they wow. were. And, See, Jeremy, and, and fewer people are, you know, few, I mean, this is a, a separate topic altogether, but incidentally, fewer mothers are nursing too. And that's, I'm sure that's part of it as well. Well, that, like, well that's what's wrong with me. I wasn't breastfed. That's my problem. <laughs> but, but Jeremy, you know what this, you know what this reminds me of? That old school George Carlin bit where he's like, hey, let the kid go sit by the river and dig a hole with a stick and eat the mud and he'll be fine. Just leave the kids alone. Leave them alone. We, we've, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there's a great, there's a health associated with just kind of getting 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 it, and then getting over it. Now, obviously, you can't do that with everything. Some things that will actually kill you, right? But but in 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 the event of the you know the things that probably won't kill you, there's um, there's there's a, a strength that comes along with kind of fighting it off yourself, you know. And I think that's what we're right. saying, right? Yeah, and you know, there's certain children. I mean, if you look back at the pre-vaccine era again, just to stick on the measles uh, topic. Um, vaccine uh before the vaccine measles same with pertussis same with infectious diseases in general and 90 percent of infectious disease mortality the decline 90 percent of the decline we see we saw in, in the 20th century happened before there were vaccines or even antibiotics to explain it and this was true for measles measles it, uh, mortality had plummeted before the vaccine was introduced um so that the mortality the fatality rate was about one in ten thousand before the vaccine not the one in 1000 that they claim is false, falsely claim in propaganda. And wow. uh, so the source for that is the Institute of Medicine. Again, it was one in 10,000. Um, and so measles was generally a benign illness in children. There were certain children who would get very sick from it severely and have complications. And some of those children died. But the numbers are about 450 uh, on average annually. Okay. To put that in perspective. And so my question is, so what was different about those children? Why were those children at risk of severe illness where the vast majority of children, it, it was just, it's just a benign illness. They, they posed no serious risk. No, they got it. They got over it. And, and they had long, lifelong immunity and, and the benefits of, of that infection that we talked about earlier as well. And so what was different about those, 
those the, those rare instances where the kids got severely sick and, and even died. Was it diet? Pre-existing well, conditions. Well, was diet it? diet was one thing yeah. because we know. I mean, we know some of the risk factors. So vitamin A deficiency is one. Um, so, you know, malnutrition is one of the reasons that measles is still such a deadly disease in developing countries because there's such widespread malnutrition. So that's one thing that we know of. But did they have, did they have enough hydroxychloroquine in their system? <laughs> I'm right. sorry. I don't know. Well, you know, <laughs> lack of vaccinations causes disease, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did they have um, underlying but, issues, conditions or whatever? Right. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Why, where, why, have, why didn't the science focus on that question, right? Why, did, why didn't they pour all the, the research and all the, the research funding into that question of, okay, what was different about those children? Let's figure out what it was and then let's protect those children. Let, let's get them the nutrition that they need or whatever it might be. And, and maybe even it might be like if you can identify the risk factors and maybe if vaccination is the, is the answer for those specific children, then that's fine. But the idea that mass vaccination is this one size fits all solution is totally insane and you, you there's this opportunity cost and you know is that really the most cost effective cost beneficial way to handle the problem and when when, when most children it, you know it, it's a benign illness um you know it, it's they always focus the science you know there's kind of this opportunity cost in the science they're always focused on vaccines as a solution and that comes at a cost of you know lost research into other questions like well what about nutrition what about you know just living healthy lifestyle what about you know certain um other risk factors that are that are associated with severe disease, and if we can just eliminate those risk factors from the population, uh, or at least mitigate them, then you know, wouldn't that be a better path towards health? Yeah, <laughs> towards better health, because we have um, a sick, sick population today. I mean, the CDC has utterly failed in terms of of, of you know conferring good public health, and we have a sick child, childhood population. Back in 2011, there was a study that showed that half of children. Are chronic have one or more chronic illnesses and so as infectious disease mortality has, has declined you know we've had these rates of you know allergies asthma autoimmune diseases uh, autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders adhd i mean it just goes on and on of the list of chronic illnesses that our children you know diabetes our kids have diabetes and so there's all these things that our kids are sick the population is sick and you know, this is what the medical establishment has given us. And the idea that this has nothing to do with, with uh, you know, a product that is specifically designed to alter the functioning of children's immune systems. It's yeah. ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. yeah th this, this product is specifically designed to change the way our body works. And then, so when our body changes the way it works, everybody is shocked, you know. <laughs> right, right. And, you know? and the thing <laughs> is that it alters the, the way that the body works in ways that they don't even understand. And you can yeah. go to the literature, and that's yeah. one of the things that shocked me the most when I started researching about vaccines and like going to the, the science and going to PubMed.gov and like looking up the studies and reading about it. It's just what shocked me. One of the things that was just the most shocking to me was just how honest the scientists were oftentimes about like saying like, we don't understand how this vaccine actually works. You know, we have Magic. very limited understanding. <laughs> we don't understand the immune system really. You know, I mean, it's just- Hey man, like, don't worry about your DNA. It's cool. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and with the, the science of epigenetics now and how, yeah. how those, those epigenetic changes are passed along. Yeah, that's altering. What, that, I mean, we're literally playing with evolution of humanity here. Is it, that, mm. that's, why, that's why Alex Jones said that the plastic was making the frogs gay because it's yeah. screwing with their DNA, man. <laughs> and we're also, and also impacting the evolution of the, of the pathogens themselves. So, you know, potentially causing, putting vaccine pressure on the, these or, organisms 
uh, or viruses or bacteria to evolve, potentially even become more virulent. Yeah. This has happened with, with pertussis where um, because of the pressure from mass vaccination, the, 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 the bacterium has evolved so that the, the, the strain in circulation today uh, lacks a particular antigen component of the vaccine called protactin. Uh, and so, of course, you know, with, without that antigen component of the vaccine, the vaccine is less effective. And the CDC has even said that it has a, um, it seems to have a, a, a benefit uh, in, in infecting vaccinated children because the vaccine isn't, isn't as protective, it appears, against that strain because, it, again, it doesn't have that antigen component that's in the vaccine. That's so important for the vaccine to work. Um, and so that's the selective pressure, you know, this antigenic drift uh, or genetic drift uh, that has, you know, is from mass vaccination. Um, and, you know, the question is still out on whether the strain is actually more, you know, causes more severe disease or not. And, you know, I've read some studies saying no, I've read a, a study or two saying that, yes, uh, it is associated with a more severe disease. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think scientists have the answer yet. They're still studying it. Um, but just the fact that the potential is there for back mass vaccination to not like eliminate a disease, but actually put pressure on the disease to become, to, to evolve and potentially become even worse. To be a worse more, disease, yeah. yeah. And then limit our ability to fight it even, even then. Right, same yeah. with antibiotics and, yep. and superbugs. I mean, the same thing happens, <laughs> you know. These are just the, the unintended consequences. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, we touched a little bit on, on uh, just the COVID-19 and, and the, uh, do you have any, any, insight into what's going on with with this vaccine that they're trying to develop and you know i guess policy that the government the various governments of the world whether it becomes mandatory or not or whether it's you know something they're going to force people to have i mean do, but do you have any insight into into where we're going with this vaccine for the the for a for a, a disease that has what like a 99.6 percent survival rate if you even get it you know i don't know yeah i mean i think that is it the disease first of all let's talk about the disease itself and, and like mm -hmm. you said that most people who get this uh SARS-CoV-2 are infected with SARS-CoV-2 survive they're fine uh most cases are asymptomatic or mild there are you know certain people that are risk factors for severe disease elderly people typically with comorbidities so people with underlying medical conditions um, obesity car you know cardiovascular disease uh, kidney disease these type of cancer uh, so there are certain risk factors if you're under 50 and, and, and healthy, you have no underlying medical conditions, the risk is, is really insignificant. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what the data shows that, yeah. the, you know, the risk is very, very low. But you can't control the population with fear if, if you tell everybody the truth, right? Right. So, so they always point to these anecdotes. Well, look at this young, young guy who was, you know, 20 years old and he died from it. So be afraid. But it's like, you know, if we were to do the same thing, you know, well, look at this, this child who got a vaccine and then they had autism, you know, they, that's dismissed as an anecdote. We're not supposed to pay attention to anecdotes. We're supposed to look at the data. <laughs> right. But right. then when it comes to, you know, this, they always pick these anecdotes to like cause all this fear and mass panic. They're like, no, let's look at the data. You know, what does the data say? The data says that the risk is very low for most of the population. So that said, um, you know, there might be a place for vaccination among the elderly. I don't know. You know the studies wouldn't have to be done to be able to show that. Um, but as far as, I, as far as I've seen, I, I don't think they're including elderly people in, in, the, um, in the trials that are underway. There's a couple that are in phase three trials right now. And 
I haven't read, it's, at least to my knowledge, they're not including elderly people, which is really strange because those are the people at highest risk, right? Yeah, where are they, um, where are they having these trials at? Uh, there's, well, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine um, is being, uh, there's a trial from one of the branches in the UK, and there's another branch in the US. I, I think they have a, another branch or two or uh, several other perhaps uh, in other locations. That one, so that one's kind of international. Um, Moderna, the US company here that's doing the mRNA vaccine, um, or one of the companies, I think might be a couple that are doing mRNA, mRNA now. Um, I know there's US trial, the phase three. I don't know if they have that in you know other countries at all. I don't know about that. Um, but of course, one of the problems, you know, they're doing these phase three trials now. Uh, they kind of, I think they skipped animal trials <laughs> and just went straight to humans. Yeah, it seems like they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're really fast tracking whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. And, and that, that makes yeah. me even more concerned, right? I mean. Exactly. Uh, and, and so they're doing the studies and of course, and they're saying they're going to, you know, within months, they're going to be able to kind of determine whether the vaccine is going to get licensure or not. And Thing, you know, how much follow-up is that? You know, they did, they gave the vaccine and they had maybe a couple of months of follow-up. Um, that's not long enough to be able to determine, you know, whether there could be long-term harms from the vaccine. And there are serious concerns about this. I mean, yeah, with SARS, SARS-1, you know, at the 2002-2003 outbreak uh, of SARS, um, you know, they tried to develop a vaccine for, the, for that virus. Uh, and they ran into a problem called antibody-dependent enhancement or immune enhancement, where uh, the vaccine stimulated the production of antibodies, um, which I thought, oh, great, you know, look, at it, it stimulates these antibodies, you know, in these, uh, in these lab animals. But then it turned out that the, the, those animals were actually at, at greater risk of severe disease and from dying from the, the virus, because it turned out that the antibodies that, that the vaccine stimulated the production of weren't beneficial. They weren't, they weren't protective. And in fact, they actually helped, um, they were kind of like a Trojan horse, they actually helped the virus uh, to enter the, the cells more easily. Wow. And so they created this antibody dependent enhancement or ADE as it's called in the, you know, the acronym in the literature. Uh, and so that was a problem that they ran into with SARS-1 trying to develop this vaccine. So of course, you know, this is on their radar. They acknowledge this, that this is, you know, we need to watch out for this. There's a potential. And it's not the only vaccine. The, the dengue vaccine is also, uh, they rolled it out in the Philippines. Uh, the WHO recommended that they, they implement it in their routine childhood schedule in the Philippines, and they did. The government did so. And then it was withdrawn um, a while later because it was found that the vaccine was increasing the risk of severe dengue disease in children who had uh, no prior exposure, no prior infection. So it was withdrawn. It, is the same, it was the same phenomenon of the vaccine actually increasing the, the, the risk of severe disease. And the thing is, is they knew that because the data from their, their clinical trials showed that. The WHO knew it and uh, Sanofi Pasteur knew it because that's what the data showed. And yet they rolled it out anyways and used the entire population of the Philippines, the childhood population, to just, the subjects of a mass uncontrolled To just confirm it, right? They just ran it through just to see, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're speculating on what their, what their uh, motives were, but I mean, if their own data showed that this probably wasn't a good idea, you can only, I mean, I would only, I would assume that the reason why they encouraged people to roll it out anyway was to try and confirm their findings in a larger population. I think it was more faith and hope that, that it was just a, a statistical artifact of their, of their data 
and that if they roll it out, it'd be fine and they wouldn't find any increased risk. I, I, I you know, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's, there's a malevolent, uh, kind of a more, um, the more intent behind, uh, you know, causing harm or something. But I mean, that's my best non-conspiratorial explanation is that there's just this faith. And it's the same thing in Africa, uh, just earlier this year uh, with the malaria vaccine there, um, GSK, uh, GlaxoSmithKline malaria vaccine that they've rolled out, experimental vaccine they've rolled out in three African countries. Um, again, under the guise of the routine childhood schedule. Uh, and this is being done. There were two articles in the BMJ, the former British Medical Journal. Um, so this isn't me saying this. This is the British, you know, the BMJ. Um, two two articles pointing out that uh, the parents of the children who are being subjected to this experimental vaccine were not given informed consent. And specific, most concerningly, they weren't told that again the clinical trial data indicated an increased risk of death, of, and particularly among girls, hmm. for this vaccine. The parents were being told that, and so there were a couple of articles in the BMJ criticizing the WHO for sponsoring this trial, and for this trial happening, and basically again, once again, treating the the childhood population as subjects of a mass uncontrolled experiment. So, uh, and so this is what happens. You know, we're, we are the phase four trial. <laughs> yeah, go to the population, and we become the guinea pigs, and that's what's ha- that's what's going to happen with the COVID nineteen vaccine. That's nuts. What's what's uh so who the World Health Organization. You know, I you know I don't know if, if we can talk too much about this, but World Health Organization. What's their whole, um, what's their tie to like China? I've heard that the that the China is like a big part of this organization, and and uh, you know I don't know if I just heard it from whatever. Or do you know like why why does everybody think that China is so heavily involved in it? Is there a uh, is there a strong tie? I, I don't know. I haven't researched it. I've heard the okay. same thing that, that yeah. China has a big influence in the WHO these days. I don't. I don't know why. Um, I mean, obviously, the U.S. does. <laughs> yeah, and not and not um, that. Not, I mean, you know, uh, this is not to pick on China necessarily, yeah. except that, except they just they just have a very bad record when it comes to human rights violations. And right, of course, right. you know, we like to sit we like to sit on a pedestal, but but our our, our government doesn't have a great record either, particularly yeah. you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff too. So. Um, yeah, yeah no, it's just I, not something I've researched to be able to answer that. Okay, one. I don't fair know. enough. Yeah. yeah, I just I just toss that out there. See, and then yeah. um, so we talked a little bit about that. We talked to. So I have another question: Is 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 Bill Gates like like a the literally the devil? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I from from everything I hear with with regard to the the uh, the COVID nineteen, um, not just the pandemic, but also the uh, the vaccine that he's so heavily involved in population control. Do you know anything about this? Yeah. So, I mean, there's frankly some conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and, and the whole uh, pandemic and whatnot. But don't you know, don't bef- before you dive in, don't feel bad about about embracing conspiracies. Like, like yeah. uh, you know, we I, we've said a couple times on on this show that you know, if you're looking around, if you're being objective and you're looking around at what's going on around us and and you don't think that there is some sort of a conspiracy, you're simply not paying attention. So the whole conspiracy theorist thing as as a demonized phrase, it's not yeah. it's not a demonized phrase here. It, you know, you, so don't don't feel like you got to backpedal or protect yourself or anything like that if you feel like. No, I, I mean, I mean there, I'm using the phrase like literally, yeah. like there are yeah. true conspiracy. And, you know, and sometimes that's fine. It's fine to theorize, and and because you can come up with a conspiracy theory that you know a theory about a conspiracy that has a lot of you know evidence for that 
but but I, I tend to just steer clear of things that are controversial in, in my yeah. research and my writings I because I, there's really no need to go there yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> to kind of make my point. Um, so I just kind of try to avoid things that are controversial, even though, you know, the topic itself might seem controversial, but I, I try to write about things in, a, in an uncontroversial way and say, like, look, this is the hard, this is the hard data. These are the hard facts. Um, so what I can tell you is that, yeah, you know, it, to clear up one kind of thing with Bill Gates is, so yes, he had, he's very open about his uh, depopulation agenda. Um, so, you know, there's kind and of, there's just one, no, no good way to do that. Like, what does that even mean? I mean, well, you, he's you know, specifically, like, he's you, know, specifically you can use big, you can use big words that, that, that some people might not understand, but ultimately depopulation, no. if you break it down, what, how do you do that? Well, you he would rather, maybe not depopulation, but uh, uh, reducing the rate of population growth, I guess, I guess, I suppose it would be a more fair way to, to put it. Um, and he's specifically advocated the use of vaccines to achieve that goal, which you know, many people are like, oh, so he's going to kill people with vaccines is kind of the way a lot of people have interpreted that. But, um, but what it really is, is so, you know, in the social sciences, it's, it's pretty well established that um, in, in developing countries where, you know, in, in places where there's a very high rate of childhood mortality, parents tend to have a lot of children. Um, and part of that is just, you know, you know, there's no birth control or something, but also they do it, you know, they want to make sure that at least one of their child children is going to survive. Um, and so they tend to have more kids just because some of them are going to die. I mean, that's just the, you know, the, the, the probability. Yeah, and uh... so, and so his thinking is that, well, if we can, you know, reduce the rate of childhood mortality with vaccines, then people will have less children. So that's the logic. Um, but of course, you know, one of the problems with that is, is that, you know, again, with the DTP vaccine being an example of, of, does it actually reduce childhood mortality? The evidence says no, but he keeps pushing it anyways. And, you know, the science, this data that I'm talking about isn't a secret. I mean, the, the, the WHO knows about it. I'm sure Bill Gates, who is now the WHO's biggest funder, knows about it. I mean, he can't not if he studies this. I mean, he's, he claims to be kind of an expert on vaccines. doesn't have a, 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 any degree or anything in it, but, you know, he, he puts himself out there as kind of this expert in the field. Um, he has to know about these studies, and yet he continues to push the DTP vaccine and these other non-live vaccines. Um, so there's that. Uh, and, and then, you know, he's very big on, you know, he's been a big advocate of the lockdown measures. And of course, the end game of the lockdown measures is mass vaccination. Uh, and and you know, the, the logical corollary of that is that, well, we're going to have to mandate the vaccine to get everyone to take it so it can be effective in creating supposedly herd immunity. Um, so being an advocate of the lockdown uh, regimes, and then also funding the COVID-19 vaccines at the same time. And, you know, he's, he's got all these conflicts of interest. Um, and the WHO obviously has conflicts of interest with this being funded by pharma, being funded by the Gates uh, Foundation. And um, so, yeah, he's he's got his his tentacles everywhere. Yeah. Um, As, and you, you mentioned the lockdown thing, just, I mean, it's probably not relevant to the discussion, but as of recording this, this is my first day of freedom, <laughs> freedom. after after a fourteen day quarantine because I chose oh. to because I chose to travel away from these islands, you know, and now I'm back. So they put me wow. uh, they put me on a fourteen day quarantine in my house, and and today I got to go outside and mow the lawn. I even went to the car dealership and uh, 
you know, got my truck serviced and man, it was nice. It was nice to get out and move, but yeah. So no you were under house arrest without due process of law. Yeah, huh? dude, totally house arrest without due process. I've been saying that the whole time. Hey Jeremy, but I brought him some energy drinks and Taco Bell though. So <laughs> <laughs> with that fire sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> Mr. Gates has to understand how regular folks would, uh, think it was a little bit weird his tentacles being out in all these different areas i mean that's not a stretch that's because he's a very powerful man and he's right. into some things that are above the normies uh mind space because we're right. they're focused we're focused on other things like everyday life and like paying the bills and our bills sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah 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 yeah, you know, going back to what I mentioned, conspiracy theory, what I was really specifically referring to, I mean, there are some people who believe that Bill Gates has like orchestrated the whole thing and that, you know, that, they were, that the virus was created deliberately to be able to release it, to implement these lockdowns and then force everyone to get a COVID-19 vaccine for profit. And, you know, that's, um, so that, that's kind of what I was talking about. And well, yeah, I just don't like to go there. If he there, can orchestrate the spell check machine, then he can probably orchestrate the whole world's, you know, pandemic <laughs> yeah. thing, yeah. But I, I just don't go there because, you know, for, for me, it's like, well, if I'm going to convince people, because here's the way I see it, We're, we have a, th there's a big threat right now, both to our health uh, and to our, our liberty. I mean, with these lockdown measures, so we need to, we need to confront that and face that. And, um, you, you know, the lockdown advocates like to point to the lockdown uh, opponents and say, oh, they're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. They're anti-science. And, you know, if, like if people are legitimizing those, those criticisms, it's not helping. Yeah. And so I just like to stay focused on, you know, the data and what we can prove and what's true, you know, what is demonstrably true and what the yeah. real facts are. And, and, so, using, and using their own data to, 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 yeah, to show exactly. how flawed their, 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 their rationale is. I think that's probably the strongest, right. the strongest argument you can, in, in anything, whether you're talking about you know, Lockean rights and, and freedom in, in general or, or, or the science behind, uh, you know, vaccines, you know, I mean, if just use, just use their own arguments to show how flawed their rationale is, I think is always right. the strongest, the strongest argument. You, you get a little bit of that, uh, that cultish thing with scientism too, you know, just like with the vaccine culture. So you have that arm of science, like science is great. Science proves stuff to us so that we can move forward. But right. at the same time, you got that really uh, passionate, uh, radicalized group that thinks that's the 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 gospel. Well, scientists aren't immune to groupthink, right? And we see this over and over again in scientific. You know, this this idea that oh, well, the scientific community there's this consensus that the science is settled on vaccines, and there's just a bunch of nonsense. And you go to the literature, there's no consensus. I mean, there's there's all kinds of controversy about vaccines and all kinds of debate uh, in, the, in the scientific literature. And then also, you know, how many times has the medical establishment been wrong? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. We've seen it over and over again. I mean, you know, uh, DDT, cigarettes, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, saturated fats and, and you know, the uh, dietary cholesterol is well, the heart, basic is risk just for, just the food disease. pyramid itself <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. exactly thank yeah. you yes yeah yeah i mean so. exactly so you know it's not as though they haven't been wrong before <laughs> right you know as you know you know the consensus you know like the, the establishment yeah. you know it's not as though they haven't been wrong before and, and look again this goes back to my point about how sick the population is yep obviously they're getting some things wrong you know and it's 
pharmaceutical drugs, FDA-approved drugs, are third leading cause of death. See, all this stuff just makes me want to disappear. And not like, you know, not like, I don't know, not like disappear. Magic. Like, no not magic like mad, but, I mean, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I just, you yeah, go get a hundred acres up in Alaska and murk caribou, right? Yeah. We mentioned doing that a few times. Just, just go away. Just go away from all of it, you know, and, yeah. and, and uh, make them come and find me kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But I yeah, I know. Like I, I often wonder, like, is there's just like a little island that could go and <laughs> buy and. <laughs> Don't come yeah. to Oahu. It's, yeah, it's, there's too many there's people. a lot of people here. Yeah. <laughs> the big island or Kauai or Maui. Start some kind of community there where other like minded individuals yeah. who are, you know, liberty minded. And, oh, dude. And there's no government like telling me, you know, bureaucrats telling me what I, I can and cannot do. I, I know. And they, and they would be like, hey, Jeremy, stay away from that gumbo dude. He wasn't yes. breastfed. <laughs> treating me like a surf and yeah <laughs> he's so, so stupid dude i know yeah, i am, uh, I am. <laughs> gotta get a couple of couple of smiles in here yeah you this know? was a this was a good a good chat jeremy i'm glad you i'm glad you came by dude um i think we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap it up here pretty soon but uh why don't you, you we started out talking a little bit about about you and where you're from and 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 what you're up to but do you have any any other plugs you want you want to throw down before we uh, we end the recording? Yeah, I'd like to invite your listeners to uh, to uh, subscribe to my newsletter. Okay, it's the best way to keep up with my work. Uh, so if you go to jeremyrhammond.com, it's my website. Um, and then if you go to jeremyrhammond.com/fda, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter and get a free report. Uh, five horrifying facts about the FDA vaccine approval process. Um, very relevant, I think, for today with the COVID uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. Um, so sign up for that free report again. JeremyRHammond.com slash FDA. Get on my newsletter. Stay up to date with my work. Oh wow, you got the beard on the on the website there. Yeah, I'm I'm signing Woo! up right now. I'm I had to shave. Yeah, my wife and son won't kiss me when I have the beard. Oh, uh, see, <laughs> that, that, that's what Q suffers from. I do. I I grow a mean beard. Just a mean. Nobody beard. knows though, because uh, yeah. he's lying, Jeremy. He, he, my. But you know, my wife will not even look at me when I have a beard. My, yeah. <laughs> my son is like, my son is like, Dad, grow that awesome beard. My wife is like, You want to get a kiss or no? You know. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> my, my wife knows. My she doesn't mess with me about my beard because she knows that I wasn't breastfed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. That's the last one. That's your handicap. Huh? <laughs> That's so stupid, dude. Well, yes, I am. Hey, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming. We'll go ahead and end it. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Unshackled Liberty. Now's the time where we have to pay some bills. And, and, and I guess, what do, they, what do they say? Pay some bills, clean up shop. I don't know. What, is, what are you just kind of... Sweepers, just kinda, sweepers, man, your brooms. <laughs> we just kind of pimp all your stuff, right? So like, yeah. so, like, if you wanted to, if you felt like you wanted to do this and you wanted to help us out financially, uh, we won't say no. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash unshackled liberty where we have a patch club. I think it's $3 a month. And we'll send you our... our uh, send you our morale patch it's like a velcro patch you can put on your stuff it's kind of dope um if you like our if you like our show logo you're gonna like the the uh the patch because that's what it looks like and uh, and then of course you can also support us at anchor.fm slash unshackled liberty that's uh those are the guys that actually put together or distribute the uh the podcast for us 
But you know what's cool about Anchor.com? Nope, 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 wrong one. Anchor.fm slash Unshackled Liberty is you can leave a message for us. Um, I kind of think that's a cool thing. You can go in there, you can leave us a voicemail. You should leave us some voicemail. Yeah. And if it's cool, we'll play it, man. I mean, if you're dropping F-bombs and you're like saying nasty stuff, we're just kind of like, thanks, but no thanks. But man, if it's... We'll it's, laugh about it, but yeah, it yeah. we can't use it. Yeah, we'll, we'll laugh between the two of us and, and whatnot. <laughs> but we're not gonna we're not going to put it on the show. But man, if you leave us something funny, something stupid, something intellectual, right? I don't know. Yeah. Even something. Uh, Give us a message. Yeah, we want to hear from you. We'll, we'll drop Where are it. you? Yeah, who, who are, are you? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, um, you've heard us do it before, and we're we're going to keep doing it. If you guys are musicians and you want to send us an MP3 of some of your original work, um, you can send it to unshackled.liberty at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, where's our bass players? Where's our guitars? Where's the keyboards? Yeah. Where's exactly. our flute players? Harps, where's our? I want a jazz bagpipes. Player. Jazz, jazz blue, yeah. well, piccolo even it doesn't matter anything we, we, we want to pr- provide a platform for you creative people to, to express yourself yeah dude if you guys play a mean ukulele let's hear it let's hear it so so there's that so you can send us that email uh we'll play it um so that's it right i think anything else we're missing if you want to follow if you if we want to follow you on twitter who, who, who do we who do we follow there gumbo i am at crypto gumbo on twitter and I am at Q underscore abolitionist. And we have a show page at unshackled underscore L. And we're most active on, on Twitter. But uh, but you, I, I have a little Facebook page that I almost never use. And that's really just to distribute the, uh, the, the show on Facebook. But if you guys wanted to follow us, we're most active on Twitter. Um, and we'd love we to chat. We also have a Discord, Unshackled Liberty Discord. But uh, we still have to build upon it a little bit more. But it's still there. It's kind of like entry level guys you're dealing with i mean yeah we're, we're gen xers but we're kind of on the kind of on like uh you know we, we don't we don't understand a lot of that stuff man <laughs> I'm not, am i not allowed to say that all right i'll just joke it all right so anyway hey thanks for your listenership guys and uh we hope to hear from you mahalo <laughs> <laughs>